This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For the cheese heads who want it fresh and the ones who think Lambeau is a cathedral, this is Pax What She Said. Now, here's Perry Goldstein and Maggie Loney. Welcome back to another episode of the Pax What She Said podcast. I'm your co-host, Maggie Loney, joined as always by Perry Goldstein, recapping the unfortunate week two loss. Packers fall 24-25 to the Atlanta Falcons in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Really, really winnable game, period. And I think that's why these are always the most frustrating. Not that a blowout loss would have been any better, but when it's tangible and in your hands and you have a 12-point lead and you can feel it and then it slips away, that gets uh, a little frustrating. So, but that's what we're going to talk about, right, is what went wrong, what went right, and how concerned Packers fans should be sitting at 1-1 one and, one and still atop the NFC North after two weeks. Yeah. Um, I think the rest of the division did them a lot of favors by losing. So thanks. Uh, it would have been nice to be actually a top by a game. Um, but, you know, you got to take your wins, <laughs> if you will, or you can get them. Um, yeah, I think we talked about this pre-show and it's how I feel and it's how I still feel even after processing this game, you know, 24 plus hours later is like, I think the fact that this was winnable makes it equally as frustrating, but also equally as, as, as encouraging because ball bounces one way, you know, you get a field goal on one of the drive, you know, things that are very tangible for that to happen in the future and the Packers come away with a win they were leading virtually the entire game. You know, the the defense got gashed on the ground. What else is new? Um, and they gave up a 12-point lead. And unfortunately, you know, the offense couldn't put a drive together to um, milk the clock or even, like, put up three at minimum points. And that's just going to be growing pains from this team, unfortunately. And you hope that this isn't happening in Week 10 or Week 12 um, but it was week two and they lost, you know, by a very close margin, um, right at the end of the game. So I think a lot to learn from, and we'll dive into more specifics, but, um, I'm not heartbroken by this. Um, I think it shows, we saw like what, who this team is and that they can win these games. And yeah, I don't know. It, it would have been nice to be two and zero cause they're going into a stretch of 
playing three games in 12 days, which we can probably get into, but um, I don't feel, I don't feel horrible about this loss. Yeah. And I think the hard part here too, is it, it certainly wasn't to the extent, right. Of like going into the felt or the Cardinals a couple of years ago with like your fifth, sixth and seventh wide receivers or anything like that. But Jordan Love was undermanned, right? He didn't have Christian Watson. He didn't have a starting left tackle who played lights out in week one. Elton Jenkins goes down early. He didn't have Aaron Jones. I thought, you know, given the players that he had at his disposal and him still going into his third career NFL start, he, I mean, Zach Cruz tweeted it earlier. He still leads the league in passer rating through two weeks, which is just, if you had told Packers fans like, yeah, there's going to be some bumps and bruises, but you're going to start the season one and one and Jordan Love is going to look really good they would have taken that. Anyone would have taken that. And I think, you know, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I don't think it was just like the Aaron Rodgers effect or the Packers of old. When the Packers got the ball back for their final drive, I had confidence that Jordan Love could get it done. Like I thought they could get into field goal range. It wasn't like a, oh, oh shoot, here we go kind of moment. Like there was some confidence there and some optimism because we'd seen him put together drives and uh, we'll talk about like favorite plays later, but I thought there was a lot to really like on offense, but some head scratchers as well that I'm sure we'll get into. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I think the key takeaway here is the Packers didn't lose this game because of Jordan Love. That That's yes. my, my like key takeaway from this game is did he have an amazing lights out game? No, he was 14 for 25, like 150 something yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And one of them was a a little yeah, but yeah, but whatever, we'll take it. Like right. a very like kind of nondescript, above-ish average day. He put up, they put up twenty-four points. That should be enough to win a game, right? And and the, the the surrounding pieces of this team need to do more because he's not gonna be superhero, and he shouldn't yet have to put the team on his back in a way to like drive down the field and and score. Later down the road, I think that's something that should be expected of him if he is to be a franchise quarterback. That is something that all of the great top 10 quarterbacks can do in this league. But I don't think it's fair to have expected that of him. But you're right. I mean, at the end, I was like, 54 seconds? They they could put yeah, a timeout. Like, I didn't think so. But if it had happened, that would have been like above and beyond. So right. I think the one thing my takeaway, I guess, like I said, is like Jordan Love did not lose this game for this team. He didn't put the ball in harm's way. Did he make, you know, the best, most accurate throws in the world? Oftentimes, no. Did he have some really beautiful throws in this game? Hell yeah. I mean, the last throw to Samori Toure was gorgeous on the money. Unfortunately, Toure couldn't haul it in. I thought his non-touchdown in the back of the end zone to Wicks was stunning. You couldn't put that any better. AJ Terrell just made an amazing play on the ball. And you know what? That happens. Like the other guys get paid too. So I will get into stock up and stock down, but you know, I think Aaron Jones plays in this game. Packers win. That, that's like just an easy statement I think to make, but yeah, you lose the left side of your line. You cannot get the run game going at all. So you can't get into your play action. You, everyone did on, I think on offense, they're one eleventh for the most part. Um, I don't really I, – I ragged on A.J. Dillon on Pack-A-Day. If, if listeners watched that, I feel a little bit bad about that today because I think the run blocking was also pretty abysmal for him. So there's only so much that he can do. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, not perfect, plenty to work on, but it's week two. Good. Go and work on it. Yeah. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about when I said like pre-show that I couldn't wait to dive in because the more you sit back and the more you look and the more you study and kind of watch what happens, like AJ Dillon didn't have a perfect game. And we said last week on the show, like you cannot expect AJ Dillon to run the same offense that Aaron Jones can. They're different styles of back. The same offensive plays are not going to work for both of them. That said, the Packers have set up both sides of the ball in a very specific way. They have always valued pass blockers over run blockers. Their offensive line can pass pro their asses off for the entirety of the day, right? Like Jordan Love is barely getting touched. When it is time to be people movers, their offensive line cannot do that as well. I don't think anybody had like an average grade from PFF. And again, PFF, not the standard, just a metric. But the point stands, right? Like these are guys that can pass block. Matt LaFleur's offense, I don't think, is designed to be a run-blocking offense, which is why he has so much of that, like, outside zone, a lot of, like, shifty movement with his running backs. So when you have a running back like A.J. Dillon, who's designed to follow his lead blockers and nobody's lead blocking, he's not going to be successful, and that's not entirely his fault. Right, especially when you lose probably two of your best lead blockers. Right. I was surprised that... LaFleur didn't use more heavy personnel in this. Like I was surprised we didn't see Josiah DeGuara in there as lead blocker with AJ Dillon or, you know, even like a Tucker Craft or like any of the other Ben Sims who they used in week one. Like that was now that you bring that up, I'm realizing a little bit of a surprise because you're right. You cannot run the same run offense with an AJ Dillon as you can with an Aaron Jones. And I like stop with the toss plays. I mean, the top, the top, like, like, again, if someone out there is like a scheme expert and wants to explain to me the point of the toss play, does it set up something in the future? Does it test the defense in a way to open up something else? Potentially, maybe, but they're not working. And it also was, it didn't lead to anything. I didn't, that I could see. So the toss plays work with maybe an Emmanuel Wilson or an Aaron Jones or Jaden Reed, but it's not going to work with AJ Dillon, you're not catering to his skill set. And I feel like he's getting a lot of heat from myself included. Sorry, AJ, you know, but there are some moments where he, his skill set should have created some momentum. Right. And I think specifically on, you know, short yardage conversions and you should not have to be challenging, you know, the ruling on the field for a yard. It should not be third and one and you're getting tripped up on, on yourself, on the lineman, whatever it is. Like you are 250 pounds, just push. And he did. There were there are a handful of runs where he moved that pile. And you're like, that's AJ Dillon, I know and love, but not in key moments. And unfortunately, there was a third and one. They desperately need to convert on third down to keep time of possession, not give the Falcons back the ball not have to put the defense back out there after getting gashed by B. John Robinson and they couldn't do it. And I, that's why they lost the game. And I think it's frustrating too, because obviously you can't expect Matt LaFleur to be like, well, it's not working. Let's abandon the run. Like that's not productive for your offense either, because then you become one dimensional, but there were so many moments throughout the game where it was like, all right, first down and we're going to rush for one yard. And then it's second and nine. And we're already like behind the sticks yeah. and we're losing momentum. And for a young offense that like Jordan Love needs rhythm and he needs consistency and he needs to get the ball out quickly. And it just felt like so much of this day was him playing behind the sticks. Like 
at one point, you know, I think in his presser today, he said something about the team needing juice. And that's when Jordan scrambled for that 24 yarder and like got up, you know, talking his talk. And that's, he can make some of those moments happen, but it's like you said, he shouldn't necessarily have to be a superhero at this point. And we like it, you know, we want to see those glimpses of him doing that, but it just felt like for as creative as we expected the LaFleur offense to be. And there were moments of it. He, I thought he called a beautiful first half, but yes. it, sometimes it's like you wonder if he's calling for his old quarterback and he's forgetting like, Hey, we need to have, you know, a different style for this one yeah. going into this until he gets comfortable. I think also credit to the Falcons. They came back out in the second half with their own really great defensive yeah. plan. I thought they got a lot more pressure on love than in the first half he had, more guys in his face. So, you know, again, the other team, you know, game plans for this as well, but I wish that LaFleur had, and he said he owned up to it in his presser. So good on him, but I kind of wish he had trusted love a little bit more with the ball in his hands, especially in crucial moments, except, you know, the last drive, obviously four passes, four incompletions, but before that, um, you know, they did three runs and um, I understand the choices for sure on, on why you ran the ball in that instance, you know, you're up, you're winning and you want to keep, as much time you want to keep the Falcons offense off the field for as long as possible, keep the ball for as long as you can in your hands. But at the same time, like your quarterback is completing those, you know, there was an that awesome play to Luke Musgrave where he leaked out um, to the right side, easy first down, you know, th things like that. You, it doesn't have to be him slinging it down the field. It can be kind of quick, short yardage passes um, and he just didn't, he didn't give the ball to Jordan. And, and again, like fair, you know what I mean? Like this, this is, we're still trying to determine who can do what, right? Like what, what, what each of these players limits are, I guess, is what I'm saying. We're evaluating that. And so far, I think a lot of the offensive players have shown like above and beyond what I was personally expecting out of them, like a lot less bumps <laughs> maybe than I was expecting, but, um, I hope that in the future, LaFerro will say, you know what, maybe we're going to put the ball in our QB's hands this time. And I think there's something to be said about exploiting your matchups too. And I thought that's what the Falcons were so good at in the second half on offense. Like, you know, there was that crucial third down conversion and Twitter was just going nuts because Devondre Campbell was playing off man on Bijan, having to cover him on like a quick out. Like that's not going to happen, right? Or a quick slant. Like it's just a mismatch from the beginning. And some of those things like, Matt LaFleur's got burners now. Like he's got the speed on offense to create some of those mismatches for his own offense. So you want to see him get comfortable and create some of those opportunities too. And again, you know, Aaron Jones wasn't playing. We saw the mismatch last week against TJ Edwards. That's what, you know, good coaches do. And I think Matt LaFleur is an exceptional coach. I just think that there are opportunities, which again, we said growing pains, young offense. I think we'll see more of that as the game progresses, but not not to just completely go on a tangent here, but like opening the game with a flea flicker, I thought that was just so Loved. fun. I was like, all right, let's let's go, Matt LaFleur. <laughs> Loved that. Yeah. I mean, Matt LaFleur has a lot. He's put a lot on tape, even in this game, even in this loss. Um, I do want to pivot a little bit to some positives because I think the offense also did some good things, right? I would love to see them target Luke Musgrave more. Just scheme it up for him, especially in a game where you're down two of your best weapons, like 
who you just said it scheme up some mismatches who is your mismatch on this offense like it is luke musgrave it's the so, three speed tight end like it's that guy six foot six like yeah so i i again it's i think they're just also getting comfortable and like i said like setting up what each is like responsible and able to handle um but this was the Jaden reed game great yes. you know you had romeo dobbs who i think did a nice job. Unfortunately for my fantasy team, he did not get too many targets, but he did a really nice job of taking away virtually for the whole game, AJ Terrell, right? They, they kind of had Terrell shadowing Dobbs makes sense. That's your wide receiver one. Good job. Okay. You're taking away one of, they got through that. They got to kind of pick on, um, I think it was Trey flowers and great. Then you get Jaden Reed involved. Then you get Dontavian Wicks involved Seven offensive players caught passes from Jordan Love, spread the ball around. Love that because then the defense doesn't know, you know, who he's going to. So they did some really nice things. I love, love, love the speed. Um, I, I think if Aaron Jones is ever out again, which I hope he's not, I hope he plays the entire rest of the season, but would love to see more Jane Reed in the backfield. Um, some of the stuff that Cobb used to do, right, when he was – pre this last instance when he was younger. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, luckily a lot of season left for the offense to figure out what works. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, turn this into a downer, but there are of course some concerns we have to talk about here. David Bakhtiari, whatever you make of him not playing. You don't want to talk like about had... something positive on offense that you liked. <laughs> I do, but I want to get these out of the way, right? Elton Jenkins, okay. MCL sprain in his knee said he doesn't think it'll be season ending, but would also indicate that he likely will be out for an amount of time. And then of course, David Bakhtiari with swelling in his knee, which Matt LaFleur said, like, guys, it's been two years, right? Like this, I think this is what it is for him at this point. And if you want to try and read between the tea leaves, be my guest. If you want to have a turf conversation, be my guest, but I don't No, exactly. Same. (laughs) But I, so two of your best players on the offensive line, likely not able to play for well we don't know about Bakhtiari Elton Jenkins at least out for a chunk of time which isn't fun when you've got guys like Cam Jordan coming to Green Bay but we're not going to talk about that on this episode so just wanted to get Um, the injury things out of the way yeah I mean look like your offensive line all of a sudden goes from a strength to not a strength that sucks Elton Jenkins what are you gonna do you know like it's the it's football injuries happen to anyone yeah it happens yeah um, don't love hearing that it would possibly be season ending because that's not great. I did not think it was that serious. I was thinking he'd be out like a month and like four, four games. Plus they have an early buy. Early buy. Early buy is really nice. Okay. You know, like I think they can make do again. This is why you keep Yash. This is why mm-hmm. you keep, sorry guys, Royce Newman. Like there's a reason why these guys stick to rosters because in a flash, all of a sudden, two of your best offensive linemen are not in the game. The David Bakhtiari stuff, I don't know how much I how we can rehash. I mean... I think it is what it is. It's like... I think he suffered a gruesome, horrible injury. And for some guys, you can bounce back from ACL tears. For some guys, you can never bounce back from injuries like this, you know, he didn't just tear his ACL. I think it was also his MCL. He had like full reconstructive surgery. He's had, I don't even know how many surgery, like he also plays a position that is not very favorable to your knee joints. (laughs) 
So, you know, he's a big dude trying to recover from a bad injury. And I think they're just doing their best. Um, I thought there's no, there is no world where David Bakhtiari sat out of this game voluntarily. Um, just point blank. Obviously he had some kind of medical and Matt Wiffler cleared that up today. Um, I don't know what you do. I, I Do you put Yash in at left tackle? Do you put Rashid Walker in at left tackle? They. I also hated the rotation. I, yeah. I, can we talk about that for a second? Like, I don't like the rotation. Keep it consistent. Um, if you want to bring Rashid Walker in as your, like, sixth tackle, great. But, like, keep one guy at left tackle at all times. I don't love that process. But they have options. Now, this week in practice, they're just going to have to workshop their best five is yeah and i mean i think that's where the conversation gets really tricky is because rashid walker had a really nice camp but then you put him in game action and he struggled so they brought in yash and rashid became the sixth man do you consider moving like a zach tom who won the starting right tackle spot he's locked that down would you consider shifting him like there's a lot of pieces matt lafleur always says like we're going to play our best five so it'll be interesting to see you know, who they deem the best five. But I think regardless of who your best five are, the sixth lineman kind of becomes a necessity or at least getting your better blockers. You know, like Josiah DeGuara is going to probably be hanging out on that left side a little bit for the next couple weeks until they figure out what's going on. Switch to the defense, maybe. I'll talk about the defense for a little bit because... Yeah. Some things to really like, other things to just... ugh. I feel bad about this. I don't feel good about this game. Like my issue, and I said it on, I've said it. It's like, it's the same problem over and over again. I just think like the definite, this is the definition of insanity is trying to do the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And again, like there were some really good things to like, right? Like I thought Kenny Clark had a just ridiculous game. Um, I will talk about Jair later. But you cannot let look. Bijan Robinson is a generational talent. He's a unicorn. You are going to give up yards to him. Yeah. Okay. Fine. But letting him just pound you five yards, six yards, five yards, three yards, five yards, four yards. That is so brutal. Like that is so brutal. Make a stop. One stop. Just one. And like I find it hard. I don't know where the balance is between it being execution and coaching, right? Because Joe Barry's not the one out on the field who can't make a tackle, right? Because B. John's out there breaking tackles. So what do you do to scheme him? But again, it's like that game with Dalvin Cook that I always go back to where it's like you have one player to stop, one singular player, and you know who he is, and you still can't do it. Like, is that just he's that talented or is there something wrong with our scheme? And it, I, I mean, we'll watch it the rest of the season. Let's see who can stop B. John Robinson kind of is the, is the question, but I don't know. Arthur Smith didn't have to call anything else if he didn't want to. And what sucks is that like Desmond Ritter is so meh. He is just like the definition of mid for my, all our Gen Z listeners out there. He is so mid and you didn't make him, try to beat you through the air at all like they didn't need to they only need to do is run the ball and he made some nice throws and I think another piece of this is that the Falcons have the m-word two huge mismatches in the past game like Drake London and Kyle Pitts are 
freaks and they're huge. And people want to, I guess I'll go into it now. People want to rag on Jair for this game. He didn't have his best game, sure. But the size mismatch between him and both of those players. And again, this should not, like, there's a way to mitigate this because you're an all pro corner and you've always been this size and you go up against big guys and you know, you should be able to like press differently, but like, man, the size difference, like what are you going to do when Drake London just bodies out Jair Alexander in the, in the end zone? What what, what are you going to do about that? I don't know. So I think, you know, the same way we talked about the Packers operating from like a, a primarily pass blocking offense. The challenge with their defense is they've always been designed to stop the pass and less so the run because they're used to as a franchise playing with a lead. And I was honestly shocked in the first half how easy Arthur Smith made it for the Packers defense. He threw yeah. so many passes. I was like what are, like you have two backs who are just gashing this Packers defense. Why are you com- like continuing to throw the ball like through the air. And, you know, I, I said it on the six pack, like at some point to evaluate Desmond Ritter, you're going to need to let him sling it. So Arthur Smith, let him sling it a little bit, but that's what got so frustrating is there were so many opportunities for turnovers. I had said on the show last week, like somebody's going to jump a route and house it because all he wants to throw are screens. And when those opportunities come to you, they weren't able to capitalize on it. And again, like, Everybody has a down game, whatever. They're going to beat themselves up about it enough. But something has got to give when you have a defense that's built to play with a lead or designed to to defend the pass. Then you have to do one of those things well, right? Like 211 yards on the ground is just inexcusable. And yeah. I understand that there was like a 36-minute differential to 24 minutes. This was a gas defense. They were on the field for 12 or, you know, time of possession was just completely lopsided. Like, That'll happen. The defensive line, I, I tweeted, deserved an entire game ball for that that goal line stand that they had where they made the Falcons kick a field goal. There were like shining moments where the defense looked fantastic, yeah. but it just, yeah, at, at this point you have to wonder like, is it operation? Is it guys getting in bad position? Because we continue to see the same things over and over again. And it's just, well, it doesn't make sense. It wasn't complimentary football. And I think that's the other issue is like you talk about, just a spiral in the fourth quarter. And it's like the defense, like you said, so tired. They had been trying to stop P. John Robinson for 80 yards. They can't, or they do, and they kick a field goal, but they still had drove the length of the field. And then the offense goes three and out. And that's like 12 seconds off the clock. (laughs) What does that do? Exactly. And so the defense like, well, it's a meme. Well, here we go again. And it's just like, (laughs) what I, but my my one thing I will say is this defense is filled. This team, the vet presence on this team is heavy on the defense, yeah. right? And so I think it's fair to have higher expectations of the guys on that side of the ball because this is not growing pains anymore. This is year three with your defensive coordinator. This is year three together. And sure, they have some young guys out you know, on the line, Devontae Wyatt, Colby Wooden, LVN, et cetera, et cetera. But like you are your base of this defense is not just vets, but like all pro pro bowl guys, they need to be able to win this game for you. Like that side of the ball needed to do better. Um, It was just an all around like 
poor effort in the fourth quarter. I get you're tired, but you're, you play football, pick up your stamina. Um, you know, I think losing LVN didn't help at all. Um, especially, I think he, he plays both pass and the run. Right. And, and that doesn't help because that's one less guy that's rotating in. You don't get to pass rush, which is this defense. Like you said, this defense is built to stop the pass and their front is all about pressure. And you can't really do that when all they're doing is running the ball. And you think, I think they got good pressure on Desmond Ritter, but he also was able to make some plays with his legs and he was able to get the ball out, you know, last second for some big completions. And again, just like kudos to the other team. Um, I'm just like really disappointed by, I think the vets on that side of the ball. You expect yeah, better. And, yeah. And I mean, the same way you, you talked about it already with like the Delvin cook game and you knew Robinson was going to be the guy. So if your strength as a defense is your pass defense and your corners like to play press man, you make a young quarterback beat you with his arm because you try to, you can generate pressure. I, and I understand the size mismatch here as well. Like you have to understand that the wide receivers are also going to get their opportunities, but for every opportunity that this young offense had with these huge wide receivers, there was a ball in someone's chest that the defense dropped. Like, there yeah. were plenty of opportunities to capitalize on young offense growing pains the same way that Jordan Love got lucky with a couple balls that the Falcons didn't pick. So if you're not going to lean on your strength and you're not going to mitigate, you know, the one gigantic risk that you have in front of you, then what is your, de- like, what is the identity of the defense? And I think that's what we're still trying to figure out. And we've continued to try to figure that out. And week one, we thought we knew, and again, it was week one against a really bad Bears. It was offense. the Bears. Right. Yeah. Like it, it... Who gets yeah. the game ball, Perry? Let's talk about something else. Um, Who gets a game ball? Jane Reed? Yep. Jane Reed. Two touchdown day. First touchdown of his NFL career. I thought he did some really nice things. Um, his speed is monstrous, and I think he's going to be a really – I mean, let me add this. Let's just say this. We make so many caveats about rookies getting acclimated to the NFL. And I have to say both their second round picks, Luke and Jane Reed, they haven't need any acclimation. They are ready to go. They are ready to play. And it's really, really, really impressive. So game ball goes to Jane Reed. I agree. I would also give Dontavian Wicks like a little nod here, like, you know, uh, for also scoring his first NFL touchdown. This rookie class just has the potential to be like one of the most incredible Packers draft classes in a really long time. Carl Brooks, Colby Wooden, always getting pressure. Obviously, Lucas Van Ness. It feels like we don't talk about him because he's just being outshined as a first round pick who still got his first career sack last week. But like the fact that we're talking about other players over the first round pick just shows you kind of the depth of talent there. Um, and then I think still like Kenny Clark, Devontae Wyatt, TJ Slayton, they were like just people movers the first half of the game and unfortunately sometimes you gas out but i would still say that their effort at least earned them game balls because they dominated originally yeah they did kenny man oh my god i had a prediction on pack day that this is gonna be kenny clark's first all pro season i feel really good about it i like it all right stock up Aaron Jones, baby. 
Aaron Jones, your stock is, I didn't think it could be higher, but it's high. This team needs you. This team, this offense with and without him are, is night and day. I think we need to like put him in some cryogenic therapy, like freeze him. I don't know. He can't age. He can never leave. I want to talk about this just really quickly. I know this episode's kind of running long, but I was on Pack-A-Day Live with Andy and Dusty on Wednesday, and we talked about Aaron Jones is who he is, and he's so dynamic and so explosive because he's never had to necessarily be the bell cow of the offense. Like, he's not an Ezekiel Elliott who you burn into the ground after their rookie contract because you're giving him, like, 40 touches a game. Like, what makes him so valuable and so explosive is that he's kind of always fresh like we're always saying like give Aaron Jones the ball more but every time he touches the ball it's a big play opportunity so like if he just wants to take like 20 snaps a game and play until he's 42 I think that I think that's the move going forward for the Packers just to just keep him fresh keep his legs fresh <laughs> and uh yeah all right, all right. who's your pop up I think the defensive line still it's it was the game balls but like Rashawn Gary, I think, stock up, obviously. You can tell he's getting healthier and healthier, and he's just, like, wreaking havoc when he's in the game. Kenny Clark, I like your prediction about an all-pro season. Devontae Wyatt continues to just look like a man among boys, which is exactly what you want from him. It sucks that he dropped two almost interceptions, but I think Quay Walker also probably has his stock going up. Like, it didn't seem like it could get much higher after last week when he housed a pick and took it to the end zone, but He's just playing with such instinct and the game looks like it's coming so much faster to him and he's already a fast player, but his read of the offense, mm-hmm. I think the Packers got a really good one at inside linebacker, which is something that we haven't been able to say in a while. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Actually, he would have been my one on defense. He, it just looks like he is a lot more comfortable out there. He just like really knows what's going on. He was everywhere in this game, um, tackling machine. He's going to get another interception. Um, for sure. Hopefully against Derek Carr. Um, stock down. This is a tough one because this just felt like an all around like loss. Like I can't, and I don't want to pick AJ Dillon again. Even though offensive I did. Line. Offensive line. Stock down. Yeah. Offensive line. Fine. Stock down because of injuries. There we go. Um, let's say run blocking. Stock down. I think that's all encompassing what the Packers are, you know, and stock down hands. Come on, come on. Secondary, like yeah, get in better position. Let's stock down hands. Let's work on that for next week. Um, favorite play. Cause there was again, some really fun, good ones in there that we can talk about. Favorite play. You go first. So mine is, I don't know. We kind of talked about it a little bit in the show, but it was the Jordan Love scramble to pick up the first down. And because he has always just seemed so poised and so calm and so cool under pressure that the offense needed a little bit of juice and he picked it up with his legs and he got up like, you know, talking his talk a little bit, like posturized a little bit. And I was like, okay, like this is the kind of like, you know, a little fire that you want to see from your quarterback. And I just, I really appreciated that because he's, he's just been so calm, cool and collected that I was like, all right, Jordan, like go talk your talk. You picked up that first down and it's, it's cool to see what he does with his legs because he's been largely a pocket passer. So yeah, nice to see that he's got some wheels. I need Jordan love to slide or get out of bounds. <laughs> like we need you, dude. Just, I, I love it. I love the energy. I love the sentiment behind it. 
but I need you to slide. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think my favorite play, it sounds weird. I, I, I said it earlier, but like, and I know that it was a PBU by AJ Terrell, but like that throw that, that Jordan gorgeous. made to the corner, back corner of the end zone, like, oh my God. I just think these glimpses of what he can do with his arm is so exciting. And Andy Herman said this, so I'm not taking credit for it, but like, you imagine Devonte out there instead of Wicks and how Devonte had late hands, like that's a touchdown, you know, um, because that ball was placed like just so ever perfectly. Um, but I did really love the, the jet sweep, like end around touchdown Jade Reed. That's fun. I, I want to see more of that. Really, really quickly, because again, we're, we're going kind of long here. I Who just cares? want your thoughts on the decision. You know, the Packers, obviously they draw the PI the first play of the game. They kind of stall out. They have the penalty that backs them up, and it takes them from a 51-yard field goal to a 56-yard field goal. And obviously here, hindsight is 20-20. We know that three points would have been the difference in this game. <laughs> but I was upset they didn't go for it because we saw in Chicago that Anders Carlson could have booted that thing from, like, Manitowoc, right? Like, it, it felt like it would have been good from 70 yards. You're playing in a dome. You're on turf. What what do you think the logic was? He's a rookie kicker. He clearly has the leg to do it. Do you think it was not wanting to put the pressure on him, not wanting to back your defense up? If, you know, they know they're going up against a, a high-powered offense and a guy like Robinson, like, I just thought that was a head-scratcher. It felt like it killed all of the momentum that they had from getting that huge shot play PI and stalled out. Okay, I have a few thoughts on this. One is... I mean, next time, make it keep it a 51 yarder and don't have right. like real last clock management. <laughs> so there's that. Um, that's two games in a row now. Maddie, fix that. Um, second, being it was just really early in the game. I, I think that if it's later in the game, you want the points, like you want to go for it. But like that early in the game, do you really want to give potentially the Falcons really good field position and then? You know, let's say they go down and score a touchdown off that and all of a sudden you're 7-0 and you're playing from behind, like, right off the bat. I, eh. Like, I kind of get it. I do hear you in that, like, Carlson could potentially make that and you're in a dome, you don't have weather, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but again, like, I think it's early and we don't know the ceiling yet for these players. And so you're going to be in that moment in the – time frame of the game maybe a little bit more conservative because why put your guys behind the eight ball that early yeah i think that's absolutely fair any final thoughts before we wrap up the show and of course come back in a couple days to talk about the saints who are playing right um, now as we record this they are i know i think it is still zero zero yeah um i think that again i'll reiterate what i said at the top of the show like this was a really winnable game and this team was leading for three quarters and this is just going to be part of this season. Um, I think you want to have your guys step up in these like key moments to keep the lead. But I mean, really like they led this game until that final game winning field goal. And so the glimpses I show that this team is trending in the right direction. And it's just like, Football is a game of inches. Football is a game of bounce one way, they win. Bounce the other way, the other team wins. And that's just felt like what the outcome of this game was. So 
it's frustrating. They should be two and zero, but I feel good about where this team is going. I feel good about them winning more games, and I think there are going to be more one score games. They do come out on top of late as the season goes on. So one and one from a start on the road. They're going home. They're going to want to be two and one. They're going to want to win their big um, their home opener because we'll be in attendance, so they better <laughs> win. Um, so I, I still feel like they're trending in the right direction. Yeah, I think what I kind of like what my takeaway was from this game is that we had said going into the season, this is a Packers team that is a 10 and 7 team on paper, but has the potential to be 7 and 10 with growing pains. And whatever the outcome is, you know, like we said, like playoffs are a pipe dream. They're possible because you're in a, a weakened NFC North. But most of this year, all the Packers care about is finding out if Jordan Love is good. And through two games, they're getting a pretty good glimpse at who he is and if he's going to be good. And they're getting a pretty good look at Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks and Luke Musgrave. And there's a lot to really be excited about for young guys that are going to be your core nucleus for a long time. Like your vet in the wide receiver room is in year two of his contract. You don't have to make (laughs) big financial decisions for these guys for like three or four years. Like let them ball as a collective unit. And I think this team is going to win more games than they lose this season and I don't think it's just like optimistically saying that I think this is a good football team but we always said that the the metric the evaluation of this season was to see who you have and who you want to keep yes and no, you're you're, you're reaching for next year yeah and if you happen to make the playoffs and have like a really good season this year that's the cherry on top and I think being two and zero would probably obviously be the cherry right now but being one and one with a really good glimpse at who this football team is and knowing that there's like a lot of really cool things on the horizon, you take it. It's a young team. There's growing pains, but there's a lot more to be optimistic about than pessimistic about, I think. I totally agree with you. Well said. Thank you. Um, we'll be back later this week with our Saints preview. Um, follow us on Twitter at Pax, which she said podcast, PWSS podcast. We are now on YouTube. If that's how you're watching this, welcome. <laughs> uh packs what she said on youtube subscribe you can get the video version so all of our weird facial expressions the way i overly talk with my hands all very exciting and fun um go and download us there if not audio on all of your streaming platforms um this has been fun therapeutic but now we look ahead to week three um, Maggie, I get to see you in person this weekend. <laughs> I'm so excited to be in the great state of Wisconsin. I need a hinterland cherry wheat ASAP. Um, follow Maggie on Twitter at Maggie J. Loney. Follow me on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. Like I said, follow the podcast, Packs What She Said. Um, thank you all for listening to this a little bit long show. Um, but I hope you feel better about the loss afterwards. And as always... Win, lose, or tie. Go pack, go. Go pack, go.